0: Consent gives birth to love and life. We foster passion to grow geniuses which lift humanity. And tailor technology to preserve liberty in balance with nature. Welcome to Radical. Welcome to Radical Ladies and Gents. I am your host, Jay Hazel. Thank you guys for being here, especially as early as it is. Um, I have a great guest for you guys to name uh, today. He is uh, hes a mechanical engineer. He is a fellow traveler in the psilocybin space. Uh, has a lot in common. And he is a uh, bitcoiner. And not just, you know, kind of a bitcoiner, like real full-out maxi. And, and I love this kind of stuff. Um without further ado bring to you from South Africa just recently off safari uh Rick Nugel I'm sorry Nugree I messed I, we, we did it beforehand and I still messed it up it's right there in front of me no
1: worries. All right yeah Negri. Rick here we go
0: Thanks for uh, being here brother and uh, thanks for coming on I mean, I know you guys are on holiday down there in South Africa so I appreciate your time uh, you're a new father. You've got a, a world of experience at such a, a young age, man. And uh, I'm just, I'm tickled to death to have you. Um, I found uh, Rick on the uh, Bitcoin Rapid Fire podcast. And what you had to say on there really kind of uh, piqued my interest in, in this Bitcoin community. I'll tell you, you know, it continues to grow and grow and compound and overlap. And you start to really find. I think uh, guys like yourself who are uh, going to take this to the next level for a few things. But um, why don't you why don't you give us a little bit of background on um, you know who you are and uh, how you came into uh, this Bitcoin type of psychedelic
1: space? Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, so I'm a, an engineer by trade. Uh, well, I, I went to university, studied engineering, um, came out of it. And I took what effectively would have been a gap year (laughs) because I didn't do a gap year between school and university. I just went straight in. Um, And a friend of mine uh, decided, oh, let's go to the Caribbean. He had a girlfriend there at the time. And so we just thought we'd head over there. I um, got stuck into working on the the yachts there just to make some extra cash uh, uh, to try and see if I could do a bit of island hopping and whatever. but it turned out I quite enjoyed it, uh, and I stayed with it, and I've been doing that now for 11 years. Um, but in that time, you know, uh, the, the kind of cash you make is, uh, depending on your jurisdiction, can be tax-free. So, And uh, a lot of the money is, is kind of like fast cash. So <laughs> I was just like, okay, what do I do with my money? I need to figure out what to do. And I, I mean, I had no idea about anything financial at that point. I just knew that this was money, this cash was money, and that bought me things. And the way to grow that, I I then thought, like, thought about, okay, I, I may, should go into like stock investing and stuff like that. So on one of my breaks, I um, I came back home, um, decided to start, well, to, to join, a, what do you call it? like an investing platform. I think it was easy equities or something. It's a South African based one. And um, then I was stuck and I was like, Oh, what do I invest in? <laughs> <laughs> Which is basically well, how trading works, I think. Uh, um, so I just, my dad is a mining engineer. And so I've I had a lot of um, kind of insight from his investments. And his investments at the time were quite heavily um, weighted in gold stocks, uh, gold uh, mining stocks. So I just went into that. And then I finally had some skin in the game, um, which then forced me into learning a bit more. And, you know, I'd find myself watching Bloomberg and reading Financial Times and all these kinds of things and basically trying to absorb this financial information. Um, And a lot of my friends from engineering as well have gone down the financial route. and They've now become sort of bankers and things like that. And so, you know, hanging around them and listening to the conversations, I could never understand what these guys were saying. And so I decided, okay, it's time to learn. Um, And that's, uh, you know, being heavily into gold stocks, I kind of went down the gold route, um, figured out why gold was so valuable, uh, which led me to gold as money. And then that led me down the, the money rabbit hole. And that led to the understanding of the Fed, and understanding <laughs> central banks, and that that just blew me up at that point. I uh, I, th- I remember actually being quite depressed um, learning about the monetary system. Once now, I figured it out, it, it really really shocked me.
0: So so how old were you when you were having this revelation where you went from kind of not knowing to anger?
1: Um. I'd say it's probably about five or six years ago now. Okay, it would have been would have been that would have been sort of mid 2016.
0: Okay, so 2016. How how old are you about at at that time?
1: I'm 34 now, so it's at eight six years ago. 28.
0: Yeah. So you, you're at least, you know, a fairly young guy to start, you know, uh, traveling down this path. Right. And I, you know, it's, it's not a revolution. And I talk about this kind of stuff. You know, this is a journey. Um, and I, I think, you know, in terms of journeys and, and trips and everything else that we're going to discuss. Um, this, this understanding, this world that's kind of opening up to you, uh, not, not so different for a lot of people, especially in terms of like, go just, just being a human being, being emotional. Um, I, I assume you were educated, uh, w- were you educated in the UK, uh, from a, a, a standard point or no, you're no, educated no. in South Africa uh, South where Africa. you grew up? Okay, and, and and that education? Do they? I, I imagine it's a lot like every other uh, very uh, Western type of uh, education system, where it's kind of dictated uh, and standardized by the state a bit, and they don't get into you know the the understandings of you know the Federal Reserve or the you know, the different uh, central banks, any of that kind of
1: stuff. No, you, you'll never learn anything about that, and I think the Western education. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think the Western education was um, initially started out by the Rockefeller Foundation. They are the purveyors of the current education system. You know, it's cool. You can go and learn about geography and you can learn about languages and things like that, but financial literacy, <laughs> no. Yeah. They'll also teach you, they, they won't teach you any of that. They'll make taxes and things as complicated as they must, as, as they can you know, hide their whole financial system behind jargon that nobody understands. And they make it as complicated as hell for the layman to understand so that so that they suck more value out of the, the layman. Yeah. Um, so, no, to answer your question, there was no financial education whatsoever.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, and, and, and I see, like, this, this you know, when you finally do have some money, and you're like, I got to protect this. I've got to make my money work for me instead of the other way around. Especially, you know, a guy that goes to sea—I don't know how many days out of the year—but when you're at sea and you're on a boat, I imagine there's a you know an amount of money that doesn't get paid to you because you are either you know eating or using the facility or whatever it is. Um, but at the same time, you're also probably not spending money. I I remember being at sea or on deployments, and when when I was in those places, I didn't spend money. I really didn't have any need to spend money. Uh, The materialism wasn't there because whatever you had in terms of, uh, you know, any types of goods, uh, you had to lug around with, you You had to move them from one place to another. So instead of being an asset, it became more of a liability at that point, slowed you down. Um, So you get, you get some money and you start to learn some things about, you know, money in general. When, when, when did the I don't want to say anxiety or depression? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, what happened in in that time uh, that probably pushed you uh, towards uh, looking at some uh, some uh, antidepressant, anti anxiety type of um, medication?
1: So, well, this depression. <clears throat> came after the, um, the real depression. So, well,
0: so we got to back up Say real, yeah. a
1: real depression. We have, we have to back way up. Uh, so I was diagnosed with depression in my first or second year of university. So that would have been 2007 or 2008. Okay. Uh, and effectively how I now understand it. So I lived in a small town on the eastern side of South Africa, called Barberton, it's a very, very small town. Um, I went to boarding school for high school, uh, where we had rules, we had times, we had teachers telling us what to do, Uh, we had prefects and things that would guide people, and so you never really, you never really had to think for yourself or or fend for yourself, or meals planned and whatever, and then I got to university and you know, your classes are effectively optional. You don't, you don't have to go and attend classes if you don't want to. You can sleep in, um, meal times are there. You don't have to go. Um, you had, I had to source my own, um, fuel and living arrangements and things that I needed and stuff, uh, that all came out of pocket money. So now all of a sudden I'm, you know, I'm budgeting for myself based on the amount of money that my parents gave me. Um, And then also couple that with mechanical engineering, um, you know, having mathematics is the hard one for me, calculus and things like that. So I never did did the sort of level up at school where they actually prepped you for this kind of mathematics. Um, I didn't know that I was going to go and do this, but I, yeah, so... I was a bit, on the, a bit on the back foot on that one and, I, and actually I failed every version of mathematics once, um, <laughs> you know, any, anything that had maths in university, I failed once, which to me now I think is kind of a blessing because I didn't scrape through the second time. I actually understood the work the second time, <clears throat> excuse me. So yeah, so I actually think I came out with a better understanding at the end of the day. That's how I like to see it anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so all of this compounds and, you know, life starts to get in the way Well, not in the way, but life starts to come at you in a big way, you know, like being a regimented, sort of controlled lifestyle, and then going into independence, very fast, um, was quite a shock. And I see it now, as maybe a shock, but could have been better if you'd been if we'd been mentored and things like that, you know, eased into it. But anyway, that manifested itself as depression. Uh, I, I went on holiday with my family one year, it was to Mozambique and we were at a friend's place. And I remember the moment that triggered me. My mom asked me for a glass of wine, so I went and poured her a glass of wine. And they were all sitting in the jacuzzi having fun. After the glass of wine, and she said, "Where's the ice?" And I don't know why but that completely triggered me. Um, and I fell apart and I just didn't speak for the rest of the holiday. I was upset with everything. Just wanted to spend time on my own, <clears throat> which I kind of like, it, I mean, it, I think it. Might, they probably won't admit it, but I think it kind of ruined the sort of family holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as we got through the door at home, I went to my bedroom. I remember, and I started crying and I was just like, okay, there's something wrong here. Then I went back into the lounge and I and I was in tears and I said to my family that like, there's something wrong and I need help and they said don't worry we we know but we weren't going to push you and now that you've come out and said it when you get back down to university go and find yourself a counselor and or a, a psych what do you call them a psychologist. psychologist yeah go speak to them and and we'll we'll help you So I was like, okay cool great journey and uh Got down to university, found a psychologist, um, I think I was with her for quite a few weeks. Um, and we were working on things, discussing childhood traumas and stuff like this. And, you know, eventually she just said, okay, well, looks like the the homework that she'd given me, I, I just never, never followed through with. So I didn't really work so well at therapy. Um, And so eventually she just said, listen, we're we're probably not going to get anywhere. So if you're still feeling bad, I think I'll send you to a doctor and he can prescribe you some meds. And she explained the meds and how they work. And, you know, you've got two neurons over here and you've got a neuron pathway between the two. And effectively, you've got like a little ship that carries a signal from one to the other. And what your ship is doing is kind of getting midway and stopping, running out of fuel. And so what these little pills do is they help the, the neurons fire. That's how, it, that's how it was explained to me. And it kind of makes sense, you know, to somebody who doesn't understand this kind of stuff, <coughs> which I've done a lot more research into now, but made sense at the time and sent me to the doctor and I spoke to the doctor and he said, yeah, that's, you know, that's pretty much how it works. You know, I had all my questions. And I said, okay, now what happens when I want to stop? And he just said, don't worry, it's it's kind of like a vitamin, you know, when, once your body's um, used to it and uses it up, it just excretes the rest. And I was like, okay, cool. But a day. Uh, three weeks later, I'm feeling amazing, you know, much happier. It sorted me out. So, like, to be honest, uh, <clears throat> even though I completely hate it, I think for, they do work. They, they do something. However, in... Hindsight, the damages that they do are far greater. It's it's not even worth doing it. There's there's many now I know there's many other other methods around this. Um. So anyway, so that happened. Uh, I got onto them. Um. Everything sorted out, and you know, I made my way through university, and then started in the yachting thing. And then the Caribbean that I said to you earlier was the first time that I actually ran out of it. And with my friend there. Um. We don't talk, to, talk so much these days anymore, but um, and I feel like it might have been because of how I acted when the meds started running out. Because I decided I'll, I'll let them run out. Um, the doctor just said I could stop them whenever I wanted. So once they're done, I'll stop. Um, you know, I'm quite happy here in the Caribbean. And, you know, but little, little that I know, the withdrawals and the, the, the addiction to these meds was so intense that when they started to wear off, the sort of brain fog and um, these horrendous thoughts that you start having, and and they are pretty bad. And you start like second guessing your friends and like, the, what's he saying down my back and your mind plays complete tricks on you. Um, and so I then thought, okay, cheapest. You know, there's something wrong. I must be super depressed because we uh, we had a kind of a falling, not really a falling out. I mean, I think a falling out in my own mind, but probably not his. Um, And so I got in contact with my home doctor. They prescribed me something and I I went to the the pharmacy there (coughs) and got some more. Got back on it and and thought, okay, you know, these doctors must have been right. I I must be pretty depressed Mm -hmm. Um, person. So I'll just, you know, it's just one fill a day. It's not the end of the world. Mm. Um, then, so I had them for a while and I was in the Caribbean for three months. Uh, and I did my first crossing from the Caribbean to Europe in an 80-foot sailboat. And I ran out again uh, just before we, just after we got away. <coughs> <clears throat> so two weeks into that crossing, again, I was just completely depressed and brain fog and I had to like make my way through it. I, there was nothing I could do. I was in the middle of the Atlantic, but that was a, one of the worst times of my life. Uh, got to the, got to Europe, got another prescription filled and I then took it, got back to normal, got another job. <coughs> Sorry, I got a bit of a cold. Um, yeah, got, got into a job uh, and carried on. And then yeah. for a few years after that, I worked on that, on that boat, uh, did well, finished up there, then went to England, to Southampton, to study further, to, to get bigger tickets for, for what I do. And uh, um, while I was there, I was seeing a girl who's a qualified psychologist and now studying medicine as well. And she said to me, like, Jesus, are you sure you want to be on those things? I mean, you should probably try coming off. Again, she didn't really tell me if, if she knew or not. Uh, she didn't really tell me you had to wean off of these things. So I just stopped cold turkey again. <laughs> just and like then, a guy. <laughs> just,
0: hey, I got it.
1: And, uh, yeah, and then I thought she was, you know, planning holidays behind my back with her friends, and she didn't want me there. And, you know, I'm saying all these things, and I'm just and, – and in the back of my mind, I'm realizing, I'm like, that's not me. Why would I say this kind of stuff? I don't, I don't want to think these things. I, I don't want to be this person but yet they still come out. Yeah. And those, those drugs just had so, so much control over me. And eventually we, so we ended up breaking up, um, because of that. I, I probably hurt her quite a bit, um, with the things I would probably say. I mean, I don't remember too much of it. It's another side effect of these things. My memory is it's quite shot. Yeah. Um, but I then came across a book, and I, I don't remember the name of it. I can find it somewhere, but it was like the the cure for depression or or, or something or coming off of the, the depression meds. And I read this book, you know, after fulfilling another prescription and, and starting up again, uh, almost in an emergency because that episode was quite bad. So I started reading the book and started figuring it out. And, and it said, oh, you know, I have to wean myself off of these things. Oh, I was just like, Six years down the line, and nobody has told me that I need to wean myself off <laughs> of these things. You know, not one, uh, not one of the doctors that I spoke to in an emergency when they knew my what I was going through said to me, The next time you try this, you have to wean yourself off. Yeah. But one said that. And anyway, so then I, I got myself a little microgram scale, I bought a whole load of pills, uh, the little capsules. Emptied out all the, the current drugs I had, all the little tiny balls, measured them meticulously, one by one, made myself a new pill, all the while dosing down about 10% of the time. Um, and that process took me about eight or nine months to wow. come that. I mean, and yeah, that's a so, that's
0: a long time to be that involved in your medication to wean off. And I think you know probably what the, the reason why they didn't you know ever tell you you need to wean off is because they wanted you to probably just take them forever. And and, and that's kind of you know the, the I, I the aspect of university, especially for medicine these days, that I just I I don't understand. And we've gotten away from that Hippocratic oath. Um, to the point where now it's just, you know, being a veteran, I see it all the time as guys just get fed pills as the first and only stop along this journey of either depression, um, or, you know, anxiety or whatever this conflicted mind is with trying to make sense out of insanity. And, you know, to... For for you know for a guy to be making his own pills for nine months, I imagine that doesn't help the uh, you know the whole thing. I imagine it's a it's a very cumbersome uh, process. I imagine it is you know incredibly painstaking. People see you do it, you have to explain to them like what's going on, which doesn't help. I mean, just a, a whole bunch. But you know you you did this for nine months. Were you successful at that point in terms of weaning yourself off?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, it was extremely difficult. Um, it was, I still maintain it's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, I actually gave up smoking as well. <laughs> I did both of them, both of them at the exact, exact time, same time. Wow. Um, which had I known that this would have been so difficult, I probably would have carried on smoking, but I couldn't because I was joining a new <laughs> vessel, which was non-smoking vessel. So. I just had to quit and I wanted to quit anyway. So I was, I was kind of ready for it. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, the, it, it wasn't easy. Um, the, I was successful in terms of, you know, I'd got myself to a really minimum dose and got myself to a place where <laughs> I wasn't as reliant on them anymore. I was still very fragile, um, psychologically speaking. I would have bouts of insomnia. I had tons of restless leg syndrome. That it was—it's the worst. It's, I don't know if, uh, if any of your listeners understand restless leg syndrome, but it kind of feels like a, it kind of feels like a tickle going up through your bones. Uh, um, and the only way I could go to sleep was to physically hit myself because I'd rather feel pain in my leg than feel that tickle that makes you want to sort of kick your muscles though, or yeah. kick your legs to, to activate the muscles. And you, I couldn't just lie there and keep kicking. So I'd rather hit myself and feel the pain. And then that sort of like long lasting pain would then counteract the restless leg and just so I could get to sleep. So yes, reasonably successful. Um, and that's, that's the kind of intersection now where I dealt with that depression. <clears throat> and then started learning about the fed you know in a fragile mind state uh figured out how the monetary system works and it's just a major Ponzi scheme or you know like and you know mind blown like what is going on here gold needs to be real money and that's kind of where I got to the conclusion yeah. it's like sort of early 2016 um and then yeah and then I think also sort of mid 2016 i i can't remember anymore as i said the side effect of these meds uh, i don't remember how i came into understanding mushrooms and i don't remember if it was first a recreational use that i noticed that something changed or that i actually read about it and then tried it you know with the intention of trying to help myself what i know now is that they, they definitely helped me with the uh, the withdrawal system the withdrawals and the addiction do you do you remember i mean and,
0: and this is a question i guess um <clears throat> do you remember you know the first time where you would use psilocybin um was it was it just a recreational like hey let's let's go have a good time or was this more like you talked about was it more intentional where You were like, hey, this is going to be something that I'm going to try specifically to to deal with
1: the depression. Yeah. So, unfortunately, I don't remember. I don't remember which one came first. Yeah. Um, I've done it a few times. Um, uh, and I, yeah, I just, I can't remember whether I understood that they would help or whether they were recreational and they helped (coughs) and then forced me to, um, Learn more effectively, you know, like skin in the game. Yeah. You know, I've tried it once I can relate, and then reading about it means more once you can relate to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, in, 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 intention... I think it was probably
1: more recreational first, if I had to guess.
0: Yeah, and in, in intention, I, and I think that's probably, you know, Indeed. if you've done anything like, you know, uh, you know, large doses of THC within, you know, cannabis or anything like that, um, there is a creative component to it. There is a um there is an unwinding component to it there's a a, just a a reflection um sometimes especially you know if it's high dose where you've got to go in and you got to do some battle um with yourself on some things i think that's where a lot of people are like man i i can't i can't partake in you know the the gummies or the the edibles and things like that just because it is um, more of a, a psychedelic type of experience versus Just you know, a a good time. You know, sitting around in the basement with mom and dad's, uh, in in mom and dad's basement with your buddies or whatever. So you know, you start seeing this emergence um, in in terms of this interaction with psilocybin. Um, You want to know more. It becomes more intentional Um, when you realize that it was helping you. Was you know, was this one of those things where? you absolutely accepted it or did you kind of come up in a culture where, uh, they were telling lies about, you know, psilocybin, psychedelics, all of these things. And it was kind of more like, uh, maybe people aren't ready to hear about this yet.
1: Um, I'd say kind of both. I mean, my family are pretty, I'd say liberal, but in the American term, it's complete opposite. Um, yeah, we are liberal in the way that we are free thinkers. Uh, you know, they taught me to, they taught me to question things. To, yeah. To, uh, not, <clears throat> and I t- It's one of the greatest gifts I, I thank my parents for is to teach me to think critically about stuff. Now, my dad's told me about his experiences on, on LSD, it was a, or acid, I think he took. because the same thing. Um, he had a really bad one, he had a bad trip. His story is amazing. It was uh, he was listening to a Pink Floyd song. I think it was Welcome to the Machine, and uh, apparently he walked into an elevator and, and, and the spiked walls started closing in on him. And uh, but he took it at a at a party, so he was probably not the right place to do it. Because right, as I understand all these things, now these are medicines. These, you know, I I prefer I prefer to use them as medicine rather than a recreational thing. Though they are good for both. Um, but yeah, so he's, you know, the, I, I knew about all these stories and I knew about cannabis, uh, quite early on. Actually, I smoked with a friend of mine when I was 15. Uh, my aunt busted me, uh, Me and my cousin, actually, my aunt busted us, told my folks about it. My folks told the school, and the school gated me. So I wasn't allowed out on weekends and things, which, you know, fair punishment, 15 years old. You shouldn't probably be smoking. Weed. Yeah. So I don't ever hold that one against them. I think it was a fair punishment. Um, but but I would experienced it. And, and throughout university, I smoked quite a lot of weed as well. Um, also, probably not the best way to do it because it does make you kind of chilled where uh, <laughs> the engineering degree is quite intense and you should probably be working a lot harder. Oh, well, I made it through. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I mean... Just getting, yeah, I, um, to answer your question, it was a bit of both. So, yes, on the one side, my upbringing, uh, showed me that you know these drugs are good, they can be good, they can be nice, they can be fun, they also can be safe. Um, but on the other hand, the The university rules and, and this and that, and, um, listening to people. So a friend of mine actually in university, I remember now told me one day that taking mushrooms is effectively like you're poisoning yourself. You're giving yourself uh, um, food poisoning. Hmm. That was what said But he took them, he enjoyed them. But, uh, but he told me it's like, it's effectively like food poisoning yourself, which is completely not true. Right. Um, but we were young, dumb. You know, <laughs> had had all the fud uh,
0: sitting there for you to consume, uh, state propaganda exactly. and everything else. It was feeding everything that you know uh, another young man will tell you know a, a, f- a friend. And uh, but yeah, w- once you once you have that experience and you start to become more intentional, um, let's let's talk about that for a second. There's a, there's a lot of people that don't understand. Like um, this opens itself <laughs> up to wanting more knowledge once once you go in once you have the trip uh, the, the there's a you know this you're, you're kind of like a radio um, in in terms of having a transmitter and a receiver at that point, especially if you can be in a really good place, you show it the respect that it needs and then you have some intention. So not only are you receiving, but there's a lot of there's a lot of give back in terms of that space as well as like, hey, these are kind of my terms. This is what I want to see. This is what I want to you know do. And, you know, it, it becomes this um, give and take type of relationship where um, the intention of it is is something that I think a lot of people don't understand uh and really don't prepare for because you'll see it across the party scene, you'll see it um, you know, where it's been vilified, where it's Schedule One and and, you know, especially, you know, places like the US government. But this has got a this has got a long history um not only with governments, but with religion. Um, you know, the Catholic Church, uh going out and, and persecuting people. So literally um, not only, you know, government, but for hundreds of hundreds of years now, we've had a, a very powerful institution in the Catholic Church, uh, making sure that people that were involved in psilocybin, psychedelics, the air got punches, uh, and, 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 you know, these type of uh, gatherings were not only uh, persecuted, but were driven out of society and with with this reemergence of people that are that are finding um this just an amazing uh glue of humanity let's call it that um how how have your trips and intentions changed you know just your your outlook and your mission in this world
1: oh man i mean i've i am so i should also Say that I am an extremely angry human being. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get it. You know, uh, and the last three years hasn't helped whatsoever. Um, yeah, I am angry at what's happened. Um, you know, and I guess I, I did a recent one, probably only about two grams. I've never gone more than two grams, and actually, I should let you know uh, next Friday. I'm going, I'm driving 45 minutes away to go and meet with a lady who's going to guide me and I want to do it. I'm ready to now do my hero dose. Um, but no, so I had, I went through a trip recently uh, with the intention of um, understanding my child to come um, and also trying to put myself at peace with, you know, what has happened in the last three years uh, with this whole pandemic and scam that it was and the way that my friends and family and and the people around me how they all got sucked into it um and how i'm standing there in the middle shouting like there's there's something wrong here (laughs) the just just the frustration with it um i kind of i think that was probably the two intentions i went in with is to try and figure out how i can control that a bit better yeah the one with my son uh so i wasn't is is maybe a bit personal, but I wasn't ready to have a child. Uh, I was, you know, when I first met my fiance, I wanted three kids, you know, big family, big family home, all that. Then the pandemic hit us and the world changed. I thought this is not the place to bring up a child now. Um, Since then I've had him uh, and I'm, I mean, I'm over the moon. I want, I'm back into the three child mode um,
0: three's good trust me that, yeah. that's a, <laughs> no, I think so.
1: we need we need to forward the <laughs> we need to grow the population or at least get back to some sort of neutral population growth because sure. we are on a negative population growth at the moment so you know people need to do their part and have 2.3 kids on average per family <laughs> um you know so yeah so i did, did that and these they, the, these intentions work i mean even on even on this smaller dose, like two grams, you know, you, you sort of copus mentis. You don't quite go into that realm. I don't think. Um, but they're still powerful enough to let you, it's, it's, it's almost like a.
0: Oh, we've got a little bit there. there you're back just a little bit. You, you, you froze for just a second. You said you, you it's, it's almost like a,
1: like a meditative state. So you, you kind of, you're able to, uh, you kind of sit there and you, you're able to compartmentalize your reality and, you know, separate a few things here and then focus on one thing. You know, if you want to focus on being happy or I, I just found myself watching the clouds while I was lying there, just thinking, you know, keep, re- I kept reiterating why I was doing it, you know, what I was. Aiming to uh, to achieve through this trip, and this is without any guidance or anything like that. So, like I'm in no ways, uh, you know, a professional at this, or or I don't, you know, (laughs) fully understand this, and I don't think anyone will ever fully understand this. Right? Um, You know, you need to reach that state of nirvana before you can fully understand what's going on. But you know, since then I've realized, okay, when I'm ready to do the zero dose, I want to do it. With a guide, with a shaman, or you know, something like that, to to really set the intention, to really go in there deep, deal with those traumas, um, and come out of it and discuss them, and you know, um, figure it out. Basically, just uh, yeah. I think. Uh, I mean, I've done a lot of work on it, and my anger is stifling somewhat. Was was dropping, um, but. Uh, I still think there's many other benefits to it as well. I mean, I don't want to kill my anger. I think anger is good uh, in ways you can channel it, use it for good. Um, But yeah, I just want to, I want to feel more peaceful, (laughs) which is hard in nowadays society where we've got the the pharmaceutical system against us, governments against us, CBD is coming, CBDC is coming down the way, you know, governments all around the world just, lying to us about everything yeah um it's it's a hard world and i think i i said it in the last podcast that you listened to but i think like joe rogan is right if we just had an international mushroom day oh like me a lot of problems would be solved
0: yeah well you know what's funny is you know back in the day um i mean the the the, the greeks and and a lot of the cultures in the Mediterranean, they they literally. Had these psychedelic gatherings, especially in the harvest season, um, which you know made complete sense of uh, the the key to immortality or the the immortality key or whatever it is by Brian Moraski. I don't know if you've read that, but you know they, they 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 got together in these giant groups and they had trips and they had you know these this understanding of each other that was completely different um, than this you know the world that we live in now where it's just. You get talking points from the media, which gets its talking points. Obviously, now we know for sure that they're interfacing with government bureaucracies. And it's all about control and and, and psychosis and psyops and fear and how do we how do we keep these people under our thumb producing so that we can live off of them uh, for you know the, the majority of our lives. I think this in you know, this intention to better understand that and to be at peace is one of those things that is is amazing and you you talk about you know only you know using about two two grams I there's something to that that I want people to understand too because if you're new to this space if you haven't had your first trip if you are thinking about this kind of stuff I, I don't want people to go out and you know think that they have to take a hero's dose which is about five grams of mushrooms um you know, to, to really break loose, there's there's a lot of people in the space that you know will encourage those people who can break <laughs> loose using the smallest amount possible to see uh, beyond whatever this plane is to have that mystical experience. That is absolutely kind of you know one of the things that I think we should be shooting for is the you know if you can get into that meditative reflection, that um that spiritual in terms of doing work on the internal side. If you can get on that uh, with just two grams, great. I mean, fantastic. If you're in a powerful place and you can and, and you get to that, that's that's amazing. Sometimes you won't need five. You won't need, you know, to to go on higher and higher and higher. And there is a bit of a um you know a, a resilient resilience in your own uh, psychoactive system where if you are going in and you are doing some things um you can build up a, a bit of a, a resistance so um you know to, to do more with less i think is kind of what this is all about in the first place and and there's a great cross into bitcoin as well and i think we're probably if it's okay with you we've got some more time um we're we're already oh, pushing but
1: they
0: time. okay yeah we <laughs> to do this me. to do this proper and to get this overlap that you know the synergistic understanding of uh bitcoin and psychedelics and you know communications protocol this is one of those places where if you're trying to be a more peaceful a more loving human being a more understanding human being in times where we are figuring out just how awful and how megalomaniac and psychopathic a lot of these organizations are. Um, I think that is a absolutely, um, amazing asset to have because when we descend into violence and chaos and force and coercion, um, we don't, we don't come to a conclusion of who was right or who was righteous we get to a point where there's people left and there's not people left um, and for yeah. for you know for for this to be kind of the the goal of somebody to become more peaceful to want more peace in their life so that they create this that vibration has resonance especially as we begin to understand, you know uh the the quantum entanglement theories and and things that are you know well beyond you know what we're ever going to be taught and what I think what most people would ever want to understand as mystical that becomes more scientific in terms of energy and all that um let's let's kind of i guess kind of push this into um this understanding where we want to be, become more peaceful so in these trips have you ever like had that that Intention to go in and start interfacing with everything that there is about how do we do this better as human beings with the incorporation of a communications protocol like
1: Bitcoin? I mean, I think when you really start to understand it, it's quite simple. You fix the money and you fix the world. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, Let's expand on that a lot. You know,
1: like, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we have to expand that on a lot. You can break anything down to a monetary. Need so like you just said like these.
0: Yeah, Rick's in uh, South Africa, and I don't know how great his internet is. We're having a little some a little bit of technical difficulty. There we are. I got you back.
1: Yeah, I might just uh, check if my family is streaming something so
0: I <laughs> I, yeah, man i used to have copper here until just a few weeks ago i didn't even have fiber optics and, and that was the thing it was like <laughs> hey guys i'm going live i'm doing interviews you, everybody's got to be off and uh, to have you know six other people off of the uh, the internet i totally understand so no no worries yeah i'll see maybe they'll turn it off
1: <laughs> um so you know like you said they they want to keep us sick or keep us poor or keep feeding off of us um, and I just had this image, and uh, we, we're sheep, but not in in that sense where you know we, we're sheep and we just bleat the same thing that the government tells us or the ma- mass media tells us. We are literally like sheep to them. Yeah. You know, we're here to shear the wool off of us and use it for for their benefit to keep them warm. You know, they feed us basics and uh, we're the meat that they that they eat later on. You know, just to, to expand on the metaphor, but. That's what we are. We're cash. We're like this, this thing that they that they prey on, but constantly just take little chunks of us, yeah. and let you you know keep living, you know, um, and then take some more. Um, but what it comes down to is the money. You control the money, you control the world. You know, they say that if you control the food, you control people. If you control energy, you control countries. If you control the money, you control the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you can pretty much see that they're trying to control the food and the energy, and they already have control of the money. So they they want to control all three of them properly now. Um, and where it stems from, uh, you know, if you want to put your tinfoil hat on, this is not governments, governments are just a bunch of idiots in, in the place between us and the people that are wanting to do this, where it comes from is central banks, uh, and who owns central banks, you know, people, the financial guys will often tell you, no, central banks are, they're, they, they, they Public, they they uh, they they not they don't make profit or anything like that. It's absolute horseshit. <laughs> they are they are certainly owned by a bunch of families that have been that have owned them for a long time. And I, I I don't think anyone will disagree with me when I say the Rothschild name is is first and foremost the one that you think about when you come to thinking who owns central banks. Yeah, and they own a central bank in pretty much every country in the world. And if you control the money, like well, it was a famous Rothschild. I don't remember which one it was, but he said, "I care not, I care not, who makes the laws of the country, or something like that." I'm butchering this completely, but I, if I can, uh, if I can print the, the money,
0: then I care not who makes yeah, the, the laws. Give me the economic yeah.
1: control of the country, and I care not who makes the laws. Something like that. Yep. Um, yep. And it's true. I mean, like they, you don't hear anything about them. Uh, there's they just, you know, they, they, they're estimated to have like $500 trillion in, in value. We think Bezos or Elon Musk or, or Bill Gates, we think these guys are rich. It's, they're not. They're, they're, they're small fry completely. And so, you know, and then you think government is this all-powerful thing. No, government is not all-powerful thing. As we all know, the governments have been penetrated, penetrated, you know, as Klaus Schwab likes to say, all the <laughs> cabinets have been penetrated. So if they're putting people in there, what, what is democracy at this point? It's a scam. Uh, we, we lied to that it's this red versus blue, you know, it's an illusion of choice, like vote for this guy or that guy or this woman or that woman, uh, and vote for change, you know, like, <laughs> it doesn't matter at the end of the day, they're all fighting on the same team. They just act like they're not, um. So anyway, I think I digress quite a lot there, but uh, if you you break things down in society, like for example, my situation with uh, antidepressants and things, and I don't blame the doctor, like, because this is so much bigger than that doctor. That doctor didn't understand, you know, you come out of your medical degree and you want to go and start treating patients and things, and you need to start earning money. Why? Because you have inflation and you need to chase yield. And so as inflation gets worse and worse and worse, which in South Africa, it's pretty bad. It always has been for all the African countries. Um, they, they need to see more and more patients. And when you do that, you don't have time for yourself to go and continuously learn about things. So you get sold a drug. And I, I implore everyone listening to this to go and watch Dope Sick. It gives you a pretty good overview of the opioid epidemic that's going on in the US uh, and how the doctors got sold these drugs. Yeah, you know, they got these nice, uh, these nice weekends away that the pharmaceutical companies pay for. And they have all these, um, they have all these talks done and lots of food and it's a great time. And don't worry, this drug is great for this. And they manipulate all the data and blah, blah, blah. And the doctor sold. And he's like, cool. If that, you know, the doctor, I think, I still think they want to help, but a lot of them are sold down the river and they you know, they, they don't actually realize that what they're doing, even though on the surface, it looks like they're helping their patients. They're probably doing far more damage, but they don't know that. So I don't ever forgive the, I don't, uh, I do forgive the doc, doctor for, for what he did to me. Uh, it was, I don't blame him. But so you break down this pharmaceutical industry. Uh, it comes from high up and it, the, you know, if they, they need to feed on the money. Like they they this, this tests like oh geez, I've <laughs> there's so much. So I'm reading a book currently on cancer. Yeah. It's called A World Without Cancer. And um it's this thing called amyg- amygd mm-hmm. which is also la- latrine. Um and in the US, the FDA is completely blocked. And it's illegal to prescribe latrine to patients. And there was this Japanese doctor who discovered it and did a bunch of tests on rats. And they, they basically gave all these rats um, lung cancer, mm-hmm. and the results on late dreams like an eighty percent or ninety percent cure it within wow. a few weeks. Is this is this the and substance
0: from the blushwood tree? Is that in, in, in northern Australia? Is this the same uh, substance that you're talking about?
1: I'm not sure. I think to be honest, I think it's it's it comes from. I, I'm only 60 odd pages into a 500 page book, but I've checked the, the, the contents and there's, there's a cyanide part there and there's a, a, a apricot seed. Hmm. And I think what we're going to find, or what I'm going to find is that there's going to be some thing with the apple seed and the apricot seed that this late that you can extract from it actually goes in and deposits the cyanide into the cancer and kills cancer. Right. So now, you know, we've, we've been sold that i know, i may be wrong i, I let me it's it's, it's, it's very that, it's very
0: similar to what i understand about the uh, the blushwood tree in in northern yeah. australia yeah
1: well i mean there's probably many cures but the, this is the example now so yeah the fda bans it so that the pharmaceutical industry can then go go and test their own version of something like that because you can't patent the plant well I'd say, I'd say, <laughs> it's not worth a lot doing, if, if it's free no, it's, yeah, so they're not going to make a lot of money if it's free. No, exactly. Um, so to answer your question, you know, you, you reduce this. This is a monetary issue. You know, this pervasive pharmaceutical industry is a monetary issue. They're not there to look after you. They're there to make you sick, to pray off you, and keep feeding off of you as you get sicker and sicker and sicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how they make the money. So I think if you have... If you don't have the printing press anymore available to them, then it makes it hard. Then this is what I believe. I I think if you, if you fix the money, you fix the world. So if you fix the money in the pharmaceutical industry, all of a sudden they need to now create products that are going to help us because when you don't have this infinite printable money at your disposal, when you're so close to the money printer as what Pfizer and these big pharmaceutical companies are, um, all of a sudden they're going to have to actually work to earn their bitcoin and proper and,
0: incentive structure
1: exactly they, they, they need they, they're going to need to incentivize human beings to pay for their product eventually with good hard money you know i don't i i, I say to most people i don't part with bitcoin unless it's for my own health <laughs> at this point <laughs> right you know it's we're sitting on a, a, a an asset that's going to change the world there's no point selling it for any other shitcoin currently like if I need a part, if you want to make me part of my Bitcoin, you need to build something that's going to last my lifetime. You know, like in the old days, things that were engineered, those huge, you know, um, for as an example, like uh, those huge uh, saws or CNC machines that were just completely over-engineered. The body was huge, thick steel or cast cast iron. Those things don't break. Ever. They were built to last. But they were built under <laughs> a gold standard, so. There was no need to chase yield because the the gold that you potentially earned off of that would get more and more valuable over time. So there was no need to create a product that breaks within 10 years so that you can make another one and keep feeding off the system, Um, which by the way, is how I was taught to design in engineering in university. They taught me everything you design must have a 10 year lifespan. Oh, wow. Because you make no money for your company. You know, we were taught to be engineers to go and work for companies, not start your own thing, not start to develop things yourself or build your own things and sell those. No, design for 10 years, let it break and let them make a new one. That's, and I, I imagine, I mean, that's yeah, it's 20 years ago now, roughly, or 15 years ago. I imagine nowadays it's probably like a five-year lifespan. <laughs> you know, with the way, <laughs> the, the way that inflation is going and the way that the money is so completely fucked. Like, I, I, I'd imagine that they're probably designed for five years in mind now.
0: Yeah, it's. A, I mean, anybody that's bought a uh, washing machine, refrigerator, or something uh, of a, a household appliance, I think probably within the last few years, probably knows. You know, you, at some point, you get an issue with it. Technician needs to come out. Parts, circuit boards. Uh, yeah, the the, the entire. Um, education system that was developed by the Prussians in the 1700s. I talk about this all the time. It was brought to America by a guy named Horace Mann uh, in the 1870s, 1860s, and it just it was this you know this really awful system that grabbed kids at you know four or five years old and started to do the indoctrination thing. Um, and it was for, you know, homogenous culture so that the state could direct where it needed its people, uh, so that it could best survive. And at the same time, uh, if they had to go and fight bloody battles and do those kind of things, you had this thing in terms of nationalism, which they called patriotism, you know, wrap it up in this. something a little more sellable than going off to fight and die for the nation. There's, there's more to it, right? There's a collective culture to be proud of. And, you know, but what this is, you know, what like you've alluded to is over time, because the value of a fiat currency is inflated out of existence, and what you've earned yesterday is not worth what it you know should be today. It's worth less. You're always facing the the that casino, that shitcoin casino where it's risk. It's what are you going to do? Are you going to go and play the stock market? Are you going to play foreign exchanges? Are you you know, looking at hedge funds? Wh- whatever you're looking at. And that risk bled itself into university very fast. It bled itself into education. It's bled itself into quote unquote best practices for people to make as much money as possible Rather than provide value, uh, provide that long-term, that long-looking value to its customers or service base or whatever it is. And man, yeah, you know, I, I think you are nailing it. And when when we see this this understanding towards fixing that and going towards peace um, and and loving each other, uh, the communications <laughs> protocol piece for. You know the psilocybin and, and you know Bitcoin interacting with each other, right? You're, you're looking at something that now draws on something w- which I'll say: not only is Bitcoin the signal, right? Is there's no noise um, or very, very little. If you know, I don't say it's perfect. I don't like to speak in absolutes, but for yeah. for the human species, this is an extremely amazing time to be alive. Is we're ushering in a new paradigm that is i mean literally we are starting at communication's protocol for each other whereas in the past it was force and coercion the state you know pointed guns at you threatened you and if you resisted hard enough will cage and kill you versus a new paradigm where we have to come at each other with ideas, where we, where peace benefits us, where not these endless wars benefit the, you know, the, the population, because there's, there's no, there's no economy in destruction if there's real value.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, war is a great one that I think about a lot, and I think if you fix the money, you, you. So you probably almost take away war completely. Yeah. I mean, if we we think about it, like, uh, who sends us to war? You know, it's your country. It's it's Russia versus NATO, and NATO is made up of these all these countries, right? But these people that go go and fight the war, you're just shooting another human being. Yeah. Like, I don't. If I had to go fight a war, like. I mean, I won't. I won't go and do it now, now that I understand, you know, money and war. I won't go and fight. I have no allegiance to any country or flag or national anthem anymore whatsoever. I have allegiance to human beings. That's that's where I stand right now. I love it. Um, and if you if you just go and think about it, like these wars, <laughs> I mean, the amount of money that the U.S. is washing through Ukraine at the moment is it's just money laundering on a huge scale. Um, but... If you take away the ability for governments to print money, to buy arms and to pay soldiers and things with this fake printed money, uh, all of a sudden you don't have war because, and it's the same okay. thing that's happened time and time again, when governments run out of money or their money inflates too far and, and they can't pay their soldiers, you know, the fall of the Roman empire, when the, the coins were clipped too far, the military turned on okay. the government, that's it, you know, that, that's the end of the Roman empire and so if you take away the ability for governments to pay for these wars very easily you know when you make it difficult for them to pay wars if, if they want to go to war then you're then going you spend bitcoin so like if we if we're talking about a hyper bitcoinized um world then the government that basically is i mean in half hyper bitcoinized world the government wouldn't go to war they'd be trying to lure people in to pay taxes because uh they'd have to be good because if you're in a hyper-Bitcoinized world, you have the same money all the, all, the, all over the world. The government's going to actually have to strive to get you to come and live there. And the only way they're going to do that is they're going to have to work hard to make their country good. <laughs> yeah. Because I'll just I'll just leave. I'll take my 12 words in my head and my billion dollars <laughs> or whatever it is, and I'll fuck like, off. Oh, thank you for coming. Like, um, So when you make it difficult for governments to spend money, you take war away. Because war now is so possible. I mean, the U S has got one of the biggest, you know, armies in the world and lo and behold, they also print the money for the world. Yeah. So correlation isn't always causation, but it's a pretty damn, uh, it's a pretty damn big coincidence that they've got the biggest fleet and also have the printable money or the, the you know, the, the reserve currency of the world. Yeah. So I think if you take away the ability for governments to print money, uh, you stop war because those people going into fight war don't want to be there. They're doing it because they need money. <laughs> and it's another thing, you know, you you kill these, you, you, you kill society's uh, drive to create things for humans and that kind of stuff. And so what do they have left? They have to go and work for the government or, or work in a mindless job that gives them nothing because there is just no... There's no good anymore. And so, you know, you, humans have got stuck in this way. And so soldiers, that's the next best thing. You know, young guys, you come out of school and you look around and you're like, fuck, there's nothing I can do. There's, there's nothing for me here. That's effectively why I left South Africa in the first place. Because there just weren't very many opportunities for me here. And, you know, the, and and well, then they look around and they hear, oh, well, the, the the army is paying quite a lot. And so I'll go and earn some money. and." shoot some people. And then they desensitize you all the way throughout the military. I think you can probably speak to this with more than I can. But um, you know, they desensitize you to all of that stuff. And then all of a sudden, the killing becomes fun and blah, blah, blah. And it's just a perverted system, which has been perverted because the money is broken. Yeah, I mean, money it,
0: it, it's it's, a, it's an empathy uh, piece really, that you're speaking about it is is mission first mission driven uh, and at the end of the day if you are you know one of the this uh, small number of people who is an actual combatant and then you know even smaller number that sees combat and, and especially up close and personal um, yeah this is uh this the, the the reasoning the dilemmas the the trauma the, everything that happens because of the system, Um, you know, whether guys will admit that, you know, there's a, there's a bad feeling in taking others' lives, um, whether it's getting closer to retirement, whether it's continuing to accept that type of lifestyle for money, because at some point you've got a, you you know, this, this youthful, you know, meat sack that we wander around in is going to be decrepit and, 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 you know, you're looking at. Uh, your future. I think it's really interesting, you know, uh, in terms of what the the trip and the psilocybin psychedelics in general do in terms of creating new archetypes within people because when you go through this and you fight your own demons and now, you've kind of put to rest, you know, the, uh, your own hypocrisy and understanding that you're, you're never going to be perfect. You're never, you know, not only that, but you were corrupted. You were taken at five years old and a lot of your code was corrupted. It was conflated. Um, when you start to see your new archetype, um, and other people's archetypes for that matter, maybe you can, um, you know, speak to this from, from your experience is what I've seen is this this archetype emerge within myself to where I can see the different archetypes in different human beings, almost like, you know, the, the damn matrix where you're looking at going that person, that guy, that one, you know, whatever it is where you sit there and go, these are the people that are absolutely going to change everything because they see it and they see it as plain as day. Can you kind of, kind of talk to that experience, the, um, the toll that it takes and, How, you know, how you see this piece, you know, going forward for yourself?
1: So I have a similar thing. And only now that you said it the way that you did, do I realize that maybe it's because of my trip down down the psilocybin route that this is happening. But over the last few years, I've started to understand the reading of body language from, uh, you know, people I get to meet. And... And only in the last few years, like really like one or two, maybe three years, have I started to trust it. Um, You know, just analyzing somebody's body language. And I think this is similar to what you see, but analyzing their body language, the way that they speak and stuff, I can, I can immediately tell, ah, I'm going to get along with this person or we're not going to get along. Right. And, and I think it's probably just seeing that good and evil or whatever. It's just, it's just the. Perception uh, that you this I don't know second perception that you get you know by changing yourself realizing that there are flaws within everyone um, understanding those breaking it down I, I like to say I, I've I've killed the fiat self and in, within inside mm-hmm. of me like um, the fiat mindset is now completely gone I, I well not completely but um, I'm still working on it. But that destroying that, because that fiat thing is, it, like you said earlier, it just it's in every part of society. Yeah. And, you know, it, it goes from the top to the bottom, from the lowest point of, like the earliest bit of school, right till the end, till you retire and whatever. It's fiat, fiat, fiat. And it's made its way in everywhere. So everything you listen to, everything you watch, everything you do, every, everything is fiat. Um, and so... Yeah, so I think if you you go and you destroy that fiat self, you come out of this and you see you just you just think, oh my God, what are we doing here? We are so sick, uh, um, and yeah, I mean, moving forward from that, and then I I started to I've started to realize that I can I can read people's body language for some reason, and I, I've never had an explanation for it. How you said it there is—it kind of makes sense to me now. Maybe that's something I've experienced, or something that's—it's that's a gift that's now been given to me uh, through these psychedelics. Um, I mean, I have no other way to explain it, so it's probably the best <laughs> explanation for now. Um, but I've just learned to start to trust it now. Yeah. Um, um, it's still—you know—it's—it's it's still hard because it's like, how how could I possibly know that this person's going to be good or bad just by Watching them and how they speak, how they dress, you know their their mannerisms, um, the way they use their hands, or like a tick that they might have, you know, just something, something will trigger something within me, and I'll be like, okay, no, uh, I'm just gonna, I'll go talk to someone else, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think um that's the kind of experience I've had out of that, and it's probably pretty similar to what you were saying there.
0: Yeah, it's just one of those things where once you know, once you ask for some things once you're intentional once you've done this a few times um, I think I, I heard you in um, in the other show talk about this a little bit um, was a responsibility um, this this now you know you've said it and, and I've said it a long time ago like um, there was something in me that was like listen you know like whether you believe in yourself enough, uh, to think that you can change the world or not. Some people would call that megalomania, but I got to tell you, you know, it's one of those things, especially once I, you know, was exposed to these, you know, introspections and this new, um, very mystical uh, understanding, this information that I was downloading, um, that I, I definitely not only understood the signal. I understood the power that came from a clean signal. And I was just like, I've, we can do this. We can change the world. One person can make an, a huge impact, uh, in terms of doing this, if they think they can, and they're intentional enough to go out and do something about it.
1: I think so too. And I was saying on that podcast as well, I was like, you know, it it was, I think we were talking about the whole Twitter thing and, and. I'm a kind of different persona on Twitter, as you know, everyone probably is. It's easy to fight behind a keyboard, right? Right. Um, uh, but I mean, effectively, what I use my Twitter for is, is is that if you go and scroll through somebody's Twitter page, you see what they retweet, you see what they say, you see what they comment on, you see what they like, you can build up a pretty good image of whether you're going to get along with that person or not, Yeah. you'll understand yeah. them, And so. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. you know, I'm only one person. I probably can't change the world. Um, and it's something I think about as well, you know, like how, you know, as a kid, yeah, this is pretty hard for me to say, but as a kid, you know, we have here in South Africa, especially racism, I now believe is very institutionalized. Yeah. Um, and we, we've got a huge history of racism, you know, apartheid and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Horrendous things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, growing up in the areas that I grew up with, there, there are angry people everywhere, and I fell into that. And I I, I admit it today. I, I'm not scared to admit it. But my troubles and my understanding of Bitcoin and definitely my trip through psychedelics have changed me completely. And I just thought, what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> you know, Hating another human for having a slight bit of melatonin difference. Or, you know... Uh, it's it's just bizarre but um you know these kinds of uh, i think i've I digressed quite a bit there I've, i'm probably not answering your questions. It's okay yet. man um, just keep going you got it yeah so i just thought about it and i'm like okay well you know why do we hate people uh and i came to the conclusion that it was just institutionalized it's there to create anger within ourselves, because one if we if we continuously fighting each other, um, we're never going to solve anything. So, oh uh, yes, so this uh, I we can change the world thing. Um, so I just thought, okay, well, if I wanted to go down the political career now and and try to change the world, the way that our current tech systems work, they'll go down my WhatsApp history and the memes that I posted back then and. They'll find so much dirt on me, so there's just there's no ways that I can probably do it. They'll they'll shut me down, you know. And then you'll have to be an apologist, an apologist, an apologist, and it'll just never end. And they'll just kick you out. Um, but I think, you know, this the power of Bitcoin and all of this is that it 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 just is it's truth at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and and it's a way. And I, and I like to also say that the things that happened to me and the things that I used to believe. I, I like to speak about them. I like to get them out there and say what I did was wrong or, you know, why I thought it was wrong and and, and move on. And I think the power of Bitcoin is it's just going to be this ultimate truth machine. And I think the generation coming up below us, like my duty now is to, to raise my son to be a morally sound, ethical man who believes in Bitcoin because I think that will completely change him. And I think if we, as the ones who were Sort of created by the state to be these angry and hateful individuals and now we've been reformed i think it's now our duty to raise those kids without any of that uh, and they will be able to move forward and there won't be any dirt on them eventually and so on a long enough timeline we start to see complete good coming out of people you know so you know we're this we're this uh what's it we're the bad times create strong men at the moment Mm -hmm. i think think we're probably there we're probably not in the worst of the bad times just yet no. but we are creating the strong men because we can see that and i think this is being accelerated by um bitcoin and truth effectively you know and i think bitcoin is going to break the good times create uh, weak, weak men weak men create bad times bad bad times create strong men um i think it's going to completely break that paradigm um just because it's the it's a finite good it's the best technology we've ever discovered or invented as human beings um and it's going to completely change us these like business cycles and the big debt cycles and all these they're broken it's
0: growth cycle (laughs) now
1: this is growth cycle it's all going to be broken yeah because when you go into a hyper bitcoinized environment um you you build things to last. Like I said earlier, if you want to make somebody part with their Bitcoin, you're going to have to make damn sure that the product is going to last their lifetime. You know, clothing might even change, you know, like this, this uh, clothing that we buy nowadays that you wear for like two weeks and you throw away and then you go get some more from the new hottest thing, you know, like, I mean, I don't do that. I buy t-shirts and I wear them until they've got holes in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, this, and, and I, okay, so coming back to, to that, I think like, on a, on a long enough timeline, you know, my son becomes this much more morally sound individual growing up than I was. Uh, and I was that because of the state and because of fiat currency effectively, he now has a greater understanding. Um, he's going to learn from me via psychedelics and things like that. And, and early on, I reckon, we'll be doing father son things uh, when, yeah. he's, when he's old enough. Um, and so you know extrapolate that out and, and just see and then his son at a much higher level and then his son at a much higher level and and all of a sudden on in in three or four generations you know, the world's going to be a completely different place and it's one thing i said with john the other day as well i was like uh i i want to write i'm not a very good writer um i'm you know i'm i speak two languages but i'm a master of none of them um <laughs> so the big words and things uh don't come out of my mouth very easily, but- Um, I wanted to write something about, I want to write around the Bitcoin fixes this thing and go and explore certain aspects of society and break them down. You can break all of them down pretty much to a monetary thing and then show how Bitcoin resets that and fixes it. And I I thought about it for a while and I was like, you know, I said it on the podcast and he corrected me. Uh, I said Bitcoin is utopia. Um, And it's a big idea. And then he was like, well, you know, Bitcoin, you know, what is utopia is utopia, this all, everyone have everything. And, and I was like, no, but utopia is a word, but it is also a very, uh, subjective word, you know, what my utopia might be is very different to yours. Yeah. But I think, I think in a hyper Bitcoinized world, utopia is a lot closer than anyone thinks because, uh. I mean, your money allows you to sit and be calm and, you know, because you don't have to go and buy this fast thing now because next year you'll be able to buy two of them with the same amount of money that you have, you know? So, it, and it comes right back to your responsibility that you, you spoke about earlier, it's going to teach us responsibility. It's going to teach us low time preference, you know, saving rather than spending and, you know, out of that's going to come you know, consumerism starts to slow down, you know, like we, we, you know, we can't have this world built on endless growth. It's not sustainable like, on, on a long timeline. Right. I mean, we have plenty land, we have plenty of food, we have all of this kind of stuff, but you know, we can't just keep growing and growing and growing. What do we grow to? What are we becoming? Like where are we going with our massive towers and this and that just spread out, like just, that's what I think, like the psilocybin thing is just take it easy. Like we don't need to grow like, uh, at the end of the day, I think psilocybin also breaks you down from the Fiat. Once you break down that sort of Fiat, um, mindset, you break the, uh, break down into this person who's like grounded one with the earth, you know, you probably take beauty in other places. Now, instead of looking at beautiful modern architecture, which is shit. Uh, you you go out into the wild, you go into safari, and you go and watch animals again, and you you just be one with the world. And it's I think uh, I mean that's that's what I think it becomes. Um, well, I think uh, I so absolutely agree can change agree with the you. world, but it's it's going to be hard for us uh, as individuals. Yeah. But I think just to finish that idea off, Bitcoin being a world money and a one, you know, uh, it's this, one item that everyone understands and everyone once you get into it and you understand that you become this you become this one person all of us become that one person you know satoshi Nakamoto is the is the 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 ultimate meme of that we all become satoshi Mm -hmm. we all become this collective individual uh who want to change the world for better if that makes
0: sense it's, it's beautiful uh, no a- absolutely and i've never really thought of it um that way as there's there's, there's this real um you know singularity but it also this duality of of it right is like not only are you one person or you know this one species now that you see that you want the best for in terms of you know just just long-lasting peace but you, you now also recognize the sovereignty of the individual and if we're putting that sovereignty of the individual on the pedestal and saying this is our, this is our absolute highest uh, you know, moral obligation to each other is just love that person just enough to leave them alone if they don't want to interact with you. And and to yeah. to be able to say I love you enough that I man I don't agree with your lifestyle I don't agree with you know what you teach or what you study or like I don't agree with anything about you but the fact that you are peaceful the fact that you don't want to use coercion against me the fact that you can't now because we live in a you know a hyper Bitcoinized world what you're looking at is this this duality of pushing the best in the human species as we, as we grow you know, whatever it is, is, you know, is the mission for us to get off of this rock and get onto another rock to perpetuate the species or or whatever it is long-term. But this low time preference as a species, I think is what's going to be absolutely amazing uh, to watch unfold, especially where we're, I think the, this the inter the i should say the reintroduction of things like psilocybin into culture is going to be that rocket fuel that absolutely turns this thing up and we're not going to see, you know, this linear progression with this. We are going to see something that is absolutely quadratic and you're looking at the same type of technology that, you know, bitcoin feeds is like bitcoin communication protocol makes it it's so synergistic with the psilocybin experience that you become intentional, you become an archetype, and now you recognize that power to go out and do exactly what you're talking about. And, and you know, whether we get to see it in, you know, our our kids, our grandkids, you know, if we live long enough to be grandparents, the um, the amount of change, and it's funny that you say all these things because the natural world, to to be out there to be doing this with my kids to see it to be informing them about these things at an early age without the psychosis, I can already see it. You know, my my oldest son's eleven. I've got an eight uh, and or I should say a nine and an eight year old as well, and they know about this kind of stuff. They they understand that you know, and obviously being homeschooled as well and homesteaders like they have a different vantage point. But those kids, in terms of the early understanding the early adoption the open-mindedness like everything you're speaking to is if this is happening to me and this is happening to you and you're having these ideas the amount of people that are in this space specifically man i am i am so damn super excited about you know what the potential for people who recognize the power have the signal and also have the communication uh ability to do this kind of stuff around the world like i mean in georgia and south africa right now uh you know basically plotting to take over the world and leave everybody alone absolutely amazing stuff. Yeah,
1: exactly i mean i love that saying uh, and i want to apply it to every government i ever come in with. leave me the fuck alone yeah i'm so tired yeah. of them digging in my life and forcing me to do this and forcing me to do that. And I think I'm not alone when I say this. So I think a lot of people are starting to realize over the last three years, how massively fucked they were by their own governments, Yeah. but the people they trusted to, you know, make their lives easier and this and that. And they were just royally fucked and that your government doesn't care for you. It wants to kill you. Uh, You know, they, (laughs) They're starting to realize that now. And I think, it was a, it was a good and a bad thing, like a uh, bittersweet, uh, the governments have certainly done some damage. Um, but the, the people coming out of it now are realizing we need to make some big changes and yeah, I think with that, they'll start to understand the monetary system a little bit better. And then they'll go into the crypto world and they'll probably <laughs> fall on their ass like everyone does. Uh, and then they'll find Bitcoin, this tiny little orange light, just you know it was always shining but you couldn't see it within the noise and then once everything goes dark that little orange light you make your way towards there and then you know we fix the world um,
0: man um i w- we're running at man an hour and a half and i think i think this is probably a really good place like positive um, uh, I think we've encapsulated a lot, so much more to talk about I'd love to have you back sometime, uh, probably yeah, in, in, yeah. in person, uh, if you're, if you're back in the States and, and near the Southeast, um, Rick, yeah. uh, how, how do we, how do we help you out, man? How do we, how do we help you, your, your budding family out in, uh, in, in, I don't know, whatever we can do.
1: I mean, I'm not, I'm not really looking for help at all. I I just, I just do this because I have the mess. I have a message you know, uh, trust in Bitcoin. Um, I don't do this for following for money or anything like that. Like I just enjoy the chats. I, I like discussing these ideas with people and yeah, that's it really. I love it, man. <laughs> just I... <laughs> if Everyone goes and understands Bitcoin. I think we win at the end of the day. So yeah, uh, the message is pretty clear.
0: Well, I think you're an outstanding messenger and you know, if people I'll, uh, I'll definitely link uh, your Twitter account out there. if, um, if you're interested in following it's in the show notes, just go down, click on it, and you can uh, you can follow Rick. Um man, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I look forward to more conversations uh on a more frequent basis with you know yourself and um you know talking about this uh this message that we have to take to the rest of the world because I think there is something extremely uh special in terms of its synergetic uh type of application. And uh, the power and the signal behind it is just—it's unstoppable when, when you when you know what it is. So um, I'm I'm glad you're on a, a new path. I'm glad that you're you're figuring this out. I'm glad that uh, <laughs> <Me too. laughs> This this journey is uh, going extremely well for you. Uh, and and congratulations with becoming a father and you know uh, getting Thank engaged you. and everything else, brother. It's uh it's been a you know just just awesome talk with you. So uh, ladies and gents. Uh, until next time, which probably be either later today or tomorrow at some point. Um, I love you. I need you. Peace. Um,
1: don't hurt people and don't take this back.